0: Well, there's been quite a bit of banter back and forth about who's going to take leadership and seize the high ground of the moon. This is Space Watch Daily, the place to
1: get insights into this second great space race.
0: I'm David Ariosto. Out of that came a discussion Can we move our first mission landing site to the South Pole and accelerate our presence at the South Pole for the United States?
1: So by now you've probably heard that an Indian spacecraft has made history, not only as the fourth country to touch down on the moon behind the US, China, and the Soviet Union back when, but also by becoming the first ever nation to land on that unexplored region of the lunar south pole. Which, I have to tell you, in the context of this next great space race, I do not know if there is a geographic locale that is more important in the near term than that lunar south pole. Um, by all signs, uh, it seems apparent that there is water ice there just beneath the regolith, which can be used for drinking or for making oxygen or for even coolant for the machinery there. Um, It can even be used for energy if you cleave those molecules. But that's not the only thing that's there. There are rare metals there, superconductors, as well as this particular isotope called helium-3, useful in future fusion, not fission, fusion energy production. So there's a lot to talk about, uh, about why this is so important, this particular landing. But let me try to boil this down into a single sentence. Uh, if I can. Uh, it's it's a lot more complicated than this, but this landing or this region is where we as a species start to become multiplanetary. If it's going to happen, it's going to start there is the way it seems. So let me explain. The moon is close enough to Earth for restocking missions and food and fuel and supplies. The idea is eventually to develop some sort of in-situ de- um, resource development with the infrastructure and everything that you might need there, but it's close enough. It's only a couple couple days to get to the moon, whereas Mars, by contrast, even though there are arguments to to start there with a uh, beginnings of a human colony, Mars can take in, in upwards of six to se- six to seven months. So it, you know, if something goes wrong there, there's a not the greatest window to to fix it. On the moon, you you might have one. It also has one sixth the gravity of Earth. So if you can three D print spacecraft up there, you won't need to devote so much of the craft and the way we do now to physically getting off the planet. You know, making making hay with that exit velocity of that 17,500 miles an hour, that it just physically just takes a lot for that rocket to to get out of Earth's atmosphere. On the Moon, being one-sixth of Earth's gravity, you can start devoting other parts of the craft to to things that might be uh, more useful in exploring the solar system, or research, or science, or commercial viability, all kinds of things. Finally, if you go somewhere where there are resources, particularly water, and you can start drilling for that or mining for some of the um, some of the resources that can be used for 3D printing or for a, a potential energy grid. You can start building an infrastructure for those first human colonies, which is where this seems to be headed. So it's in effect sort of a jumping off place for the rest of the, the solar system. And India just got there first, which is huge, absolutely huge. But there's another first to be had up there that I think is just as interesting and important and is something that you're going to be hearing about uh, increasingly in coming months, and that is the first commercial landing on the lunar south pole. Because in many ways, not all, but in many ways, it's the commercial sector that is going to be driving this this next phase of exploration. And it is potentially a multi-trillion dollar market according to a few different financial houses this is of course over uh, about a decade from now but nonetheless there's money to be made in space not only for the space to earth economy you know things that we do in space that could be brought back to earth to make uh, our lives on Earth better. And we talked a little bit with Janet Cavande about that in terms of um, the biomedical sectors and, and potentially growing human tissue up in, um, in lower Earth orbit in a way that just we can't do on Earth. But also, like, the makings of this space-for-space space economy. And that's really where the, this lunar south pole comes into play, things that are produced in space and for space. And then questions about how do we scale this foundational questions about reusability and institute resource development and something that is not wholly reliant on politicians and policymakers who are by their very nature often fickle when it when it comes to these sort of big programs and that interestingly enough is where NASA's CLPS program comes in. It's, I think it's the, the Commercial Lunar Payload Services, what CLPS stands for. But basically what that means, it's, it's a means of providing delivery services and payloads from American companies to do science and exploration and commercial development of the moon. The reason why I mention this is a principal company in this CLPS program is a company called Intuitive Machines. It's, it's a Houston-based company, and it's a company that seems to be poised to be the first commercial lander to touch down on that lunar south pole. And yet that's not all. They're also hoping to be the very first to drill for water ice. So now that India has gotten there, potentially the first commercial uh, lunar lander could be, could be landing in November, as early as November. Uh, that's when the window is. And then there's a subsequent mission to, to drilling there and you know, maybe even developing an energy grid in tandem with a fission energy company that seems to be still in the works here. So, you know, a lot of really, really interesting things. Landing on the moon landing on the lunar south pole, and then potentially starting to, to pull out resources that, uh, that humanity needs to make this a viable enterprise. Now, having been down there a couple times um, and, and have seen what those aerospace engineers are doing, seen what the, the enthusiasm within the Houston community is, and actually having met with the company's president, Steve Altimus, on several occasions, Um, I thought it appropriate now to to give you a taste of one of those conversations that Steve and I had um, talking about the nature of landing on the lunar south pole.
0: Well, I think what we started was, uh, we we built a pretty robust supply chain, but we did this whole mission development, the spacecraft development during the COVID pandemic. And so there was stresses and strains on the supply chain. You know, we didn't have the resources to go vertically integrated totally. I mean, that's building a lot of capability. And so what we've done is we've brought in the things that were the most difficult to get out of the supply chain, the the things that were out of the norm. Like, for example, these cryogenic valves, there are no in-space cryogenic valves that have to last the time that we have to last uh, all the way out to the moon, six and a half days, right? and throttle down the engine and all that. So the, the, the leak specs on those valves didn't meet our needs. And so what we did was we miniaturized them and tightened them up. And now we have our own pro- uh, product as a result of that. So only where we needed to vertically integrate, we chose selectively. Um, and I think that was the key to our success. Um, to build that capability though, took time and energy and money. Um, and now we have it. So we are moving more and more towards a vertically integrated company as a res- out of necessity as opposed to out of a SpaceX model. Can you give me a sense
1: of why uh, the timetable under which you were operating was moved up by NASA?
0: Well, there's been um, quite a bit of banter back and forth um, about who's gonna take leadership um, and seize the high ground of the moon. Is it gonna be the United States or is it gonna be China? And so the administrator uh, came here and spoke to all of us and said, we've got to to go get them and we gotta go be first, right? And so out of that came a discussion, can we move our first mission landing site to the South Pole and accelerate our presence at the South Pole for the United States? We were currently planning mission two to go to the South Pole, but that was one off. So could we do two missions to the South Pole and have a greater chance of success? And so um, from the top of the agency all the way down to the Clips program, they said, is there anybody capable? And in fact, Intuitive Machines was. And so we negotiated a change to our mission landing site, uh, which had some vehicle changes. You know, we had to reposition solar arrays and antennas, and we had to calculate new trajectories, and we had to roll the vehicle different, so that was a whole attitude control scheme that had to change yeah. so there was some real impacts to the vehicle and that affected the schedule and so we moved the schedule we negotiated with spacex we negotiated with nasa and we worked our engineering to kind of make them sure all those lined up
1: so i mentioned this a little bit in the open but can you just give me a little bit more of a sense as to why the lunar south pole
0: oh yeah the rationale to go to the south pole is it's the it's, it's where the, we believe and scientists believe it's the highest concentration of entrapped water ice, entrained water ice in the regolith. And why is that important? For any kind of human exploration of a celestial body, you'll need resources. You can't imagine that you're going to bring all those resources with you. So if you, can, if you can take the water out of the regolith and separate it, now you have oxygen and hydrogen you, you can break apart out, out of the water. And now you have oxygen to breathe. You can combine the hydrogen with carbon and create methane. And now you have propellants that you can Rocket use. Fuel. Rocket exactly. fuel. right. So there's a lot of great reasons to be where the water is. And typically exploration is driven, science exploration of the, of the universe is driven by follow the water because it's so important to humans.
1: So where do you stand with your partnership with X Energy?
0: X-Energy is um, uh, owned, uh, in conjunction with Intuitive Machines, we have a common partner in Cam Gafarian, And so we formed a joint venture with X-Energy between Intuitive Machines and X-Energy, where we're developing, or designing at least, for Department of Energy and NASA, um, a nuclear fission reactor for the surface of the moon. That initial design study, we're doing together in this joint venture with X-Energy. Going forward, we're hoping that a procurement comes out to develop that reactor, and uh, we'll do that with X-Energy as a partner. And uh, we're here prepared to not only help in that development, but to actually deliver it to the moon and that'll be the next size up of our lander to then, deliver that. So we're a cislunar infrastructure company, so what does that mean? We're gonna put in all of the utilities that are needed uh, to, to land on the moon, to communicate around the moon, to navigate around the moon, and generate power around the moon. That's yeah. what we do as a company. So you're a lunar con Edison, essentially. Exactly, right? <laughs> Well, that
1: does it. I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. And just as a reminder, all of these conversations, or at least many of them, will be folded into a book project. So stay tuned for that. Subscribe to this podcast. I'm David Ariosto, and thanks so much for listening and, and joining us and exploring this exciting next phase of where we're going.